0: Hi everyone, and thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. We are incredibly excited and honored that Sarah Mail agreed to be our first interview for Life Between the Notes. We are also thrilled that the Reading Musical Foundation is supporting her interview with their sponsorship. The Reading Musical Foundation has advanced and advocated for music education in appreciation in Berks County since 1926. Signature programs of the foundation include RMS scholarship program, which provides over $200,000 in annual scholarships to Berks County music students. Operation Replay, an instrument recycling program that provides used instruments with deserving student musicians, as well as an annual grant program that provides more than $300,000 for music related projects in the greater Reading community. You can learn more about RMF at their website, www.readingmusicalfoundation.org or by finding them on Facebook and Instagram at Reading Musical Foundation. We really hope you enjoy learning more about Sarah. This was an inspiring interview. And personally, I came away from this with renewed energy in being a professional musician and the abundant opportunities that surround us in this area. We hope you enjoy learning more about Sarah's life, Between the Notes. Welcome, everyone, to Life Between the Notes, where we are going beyond the bio and bringing you interviews of your favorite South Central Pennsylvania musicians. I am Kirsten Myers, and my co-host, Morgan Davis, is here today as well. Hello, Morgan. Hello. <laughs> She's got her coffee. She's good to go. Priority. Um, we are, yeah. <laughs> We are incredibly excited and honored today to have cellist Sarah Mayle joining us for our first interview. So hello, Sarah, and thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today.
1: Thank you, happy to be here.
0: Uh, In case there's anyone out there who doesn't know who Sarah is, um, I'm going to give you some background before we dig deeper to learn so much more about her and how she became the amazing musician that she is today. Um, Sarah received her Associate of the Arts in Music degree from Victoria Conservatory of Music in Canada, where she was presented the Principal Emeritus Prize. She earned her Bachelor of Music with high honors from Rutgers University and Master of Music from the Manns College of Music in New York City. Sarah is sought after as a chamber music recitalist and soloist, having performed in major venues in the U.S. Canada, Europe, and Asia. She is the founding cellist of the Lancaster-based Newstead Trio from 1993 to 2018. She also founded Duo Kiaskiro in 2012 in collaboration with award-winning pianist Maria Corley. This ensemble has, for over eight years, been dedicated to creating musical experiences that both touch and thrill their audiences. Recently, the duo decided to make their art available to those on the autism spectrum or with other distinct needs. They created a series entitled Silence Optional, which blends visual and musical components. Sarah has also collaborates in chamber music programs with her husband and violist P- Peter Keynote. Am I saying that correctly? You are, yes. Okay, great. <laughs> a member of the New York Philharmonic. She is principal cellist of the York Symphony Orchestra, acting principal cellist of the Lancaster Symphony Orchestra and chair of the LSO Board of Directors. She regularly performs with the Reading Symphony, Kennett Symphony and Harrisburg Symphony. In 2018, Sarah was a featured guest artist with the Reading Symphony performing Joel Puckett's short stories for string quartet and orchestra. She also soloed in 2019 and 2020 with Allegro, the Chamber Orchestra of Lancaster. Sarah is Senior Adjunct Assistant Professor of Cello at Franklin and Marshall College. She has directed chamber music programs and was involved in the successful accreditation to the National Association of Schools of Music for the Pennsylvania Academy of Music. Sarah is under constant demand as a private teacher, working with cellists of all ages from Lancaster County and beyond. Her teaching reflects the pedagogy of her former teachers, Jim Hunter, Bernard Greenhouse, Zara Nelsova, and Timothy Eddy. Sarah has also participated in programs that allowed her to study with Anna Bilsma, uh, Janos Starker, and Channing Robbins. Over the last 25 years, her students have won competitions, awards, and performed with the most prominent regional orchestras. Sarah's students have gone on to study cello and in post-secondary institutions, such as Oberlin, Ithaca, Duquesne, Cleveland Institute, King's College, Mann's College of Music, and were selected to play in master classes for members of the New York Philharmonic, Ying Quartet, Cassatt Quartet, and Yo-Yo Ma, to name a few. Sarah raised her three children in Lancaster and continues to appreciate the many unique and rich qualities of life in this diverse and artistically vibrant community. And after reading all of that, I think we're done with our interview. <laughs> 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 that's, oh that, that's amazing.
1: Uh, yeah, it's funny when you're reading it. I'm thinking, who are you describing? You know, It's you. sometimes you know life just happens as you go from one day to the next and it's like oh okay
0: yeah it's 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 amazing and and so like I said before we are honored to to have you here today and so we kind of want to start from the beginning um so now where did you grow
1: up did you grow up in Canada did you live there Yeah <clears throat> yeah I was actually born in Saskatoon Saskatchewan which is the province um, sort of above Montana North Dakota um, and I I lived there until I was about 16 um, and um, Saskatoon is a, a very also very culturally healthy city in Canada but it's um, relatively certainly at that time, um, and and maybe not as much now, but there's sort of more of a sense of it being an isolated community. So here, when we're when we talk about the Lancaster area and the metro area, and then we talk about, you know, the the surrounding communities, there's sort of this big wash of population. And then you find yourself in a city like Philly, or, you know, we're close to major cities, Um, where I grew up. It's literally that scene in the movie where you're in the airplane and you're flying over top and you see the the surround the circumference you see the boundary you see literally where there is city and there's no city so so while there were some opportunities there um for me as a as a young musician um i had to i actually ended up leaving when i was 16. Uh, yeah mean leaving Saskatoon. Yeah. So so, with your family or? No. So my, my, um, my parents were supportive of cello. I started when I was about eight, I'd played piano for a little bit, but it wasn't really um, something that I was drawn to. And, um, and I started the cello, and I um, played for about eight years. So from the age of eight to 16. And during that time, I've counted up before, but I think during that time, I had nine Different cello teachers. In eight wow. years, <clears throat> it wasn't because I was a problem student. Just so you know, they weren't passing <laughs> me. From, at least not not from my perspective. But the 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 thing was that the Saskatoon Symphony, which again um, was was quite a remarkable institution for that community, um, was sort of a stepping stone orchestra. So uh, many of the the principal players that came in to play in the symphony would then be the the uh, leading um, teachers in the community. And so um, so people would come in, play for a season or two, and then they'd be constantly doing auditions and trying to get up to the higher tier orchestra. Um, so when I was about 16, I think my dad, I remember him, my mom and dad sort of talking to me and saying, listen, like, if you are thinking that you wanna make a living as a musician, you're probably gonna to have to leave. I had friends who um, were flying to Calgary every weekend for lessons and, um, and, and driving to Winnipeg eight hours, you know, every week. And my parents both working were kind of like, well, that's not really a feasible thing for us to take on. And so um, the summer before my senior year of high school, uh, my mom and I drove to two different teachers. One was um, in Winnipeg, which is the neighboring province or in the neighboring province. And the other was on the West Coast of Canada in Victoria. And um, we were sort of, you know, just seeing which teacher I might click with. And um, when I went to Victoria, that's when I met Mr. Hunter and um, things just kind of rolled from there. I I ended up um, boarding with a family for my final year of high school. Uh, attending the Victoria Conservatory of Music. And and that was sort of, that was sort of, at that time I I wasn't sure that I wanted to go into music, but it was something I had to do in order to determine if this was the path I might want to take. Oh. So. So at yeah. that point, I mean,
0: obviously then you were very serious about it. Like what, what age were you, would you say, when you became that serious? Was it at sixteen? Before
1: that? I think it was probably once I got there, and you know, as soon as I got there and finishing my final year of high school, that was a big transition year. That was a rough year because new new high school, and not really knowing anybody. And my um, my peer group became the people who attended the conservatory. Um, I wasn't. I didn't really ever make strong connections in high school. I was kind of um as soon as i could leave i get in my car and go down to the conservatory and and i think probably over the next 2 years it really became clear to me that i wanted to to make a living to try to make a living playing the instrument and that's the the kind of the culture of the teacher that mr hunter was he was i still call him mr hunter i can't even say james hunter um, he was he was sort of like he he was one of the teachers in canada that people went to he kept a small studio it maybe had six students at one time but they would be a couple of high school students and then there might be a, a somebody who already is a professional player but needed to come to him for some technical help or was having problems with injuries or something he was he was really he took the craft of teaching very seriously and and he looked at it as almost a trade like he was preparing you for a trade and um and my dad used to joke that being Hunter's student was like joining a convent because he was in control of everything you did. So I had two lessons a week for four years, two lessons a week. And, um, and uh, he was, you know, you couldn't, if, if a friend said, hey, I need a cellist for, you know, I need you to play in a wedding, uh, would you do it? You, you couldn't do it unless Mr. Hunter was okay with it. In fact, I didn't play in a youth orchestra for several months once I started studying with him because he wanted to work on technical things. And he said, no, we gotta wait for you to get into an orchestra because when you're in an orchestra, it's very difficult to hear what you yourself are doing. And so he wanted to get the technical things underway, the work that I needed to do um, before before sort of jumping into spreading myself really thinly with mm-hmm. a lot of extra, extracurricular playing, I guess. Right. Yeah.
0: That's, that's great. Uh- um so so after that then so you were 16 when you right
1: right so mm -hmm. Uh, and I spent four years there and I ended up doing a, a I did my final year of high school and then I did an associate of arts and music diploma that was offered through the conservatory um which involved um theory ear training um some music history classes and then I think I ended up taking like an English class and maybe one other class at um, Camosun College, which was a community college that was partnering with the conservatory to give this degree. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then from there, I went to the East Coast of the US to Rutgers University and they were able to transfer credits so that I entered a third year um, bachelor program In music performance
0: okay so it was like mid mid degree yeah
1: yeah that that was culture shock i tell you coming Mm -hmm. from from the west coast of canada which which you know and i was so lucky because in victoria which is a stunningly beautiful city but i could like on my lunch breaks walk to the beach and just like you know have my lunch on the beach and then i go to rutgers new jersey which is not so much (laughs) idyllic Sure. Great for other reasons, but it sure, was- but comparatively, yeah. Can you imagine my first few nights in Rutgers, I'd never heard a cicada. I had no, no. idea. I, no. I was so shocked. I was really lying awake, like with these huge eyeballs looking at the wall. Like, what uh, is that?
2: Well, that yeah. would be culture shock because that's like an yeah. alien noise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I
0: remember like hearing those when I was like seven years old and crying because I didn't yeah. know what was
1: going on. Yeah, I had yeah. no idea what I was getting myself into. But anyway. Yeah.
2: You know, Sarah, it's so interesting. Uh, you talking about that experience of like moving to get what you needed um, yeah. and then having a really influential teacher, you know, and the way that your teacher approached like that craft of teaching Mm -hmm. um and and maybe in not quite such an intense way but I had a similar experience um you know of needing to be uh figure out how to how to learn and be in a musical setting outside of the environment I grew up in um and was really fortunate to have a teacher who I think was at least similar in concept um and I wonder how many people you know it's it's just interesting how pinnacle that
1: part of the transition is you know to to have that it's it's, it's, yeah Mm -hmm. it's absolutely key and i think um and what one thing i think we can say about our community that we live in now in the lancaster area is that uh we are so fortunate to be able to find you know really really high quality instruction not necessarily just in music but sports and in uh, visual arts and, and um, all, all sorts of areas that we are so fortunate um, to be able to find that because, you know, every now and then, my mom still says to me, oh, my gosh, you know, maybe we shouldn't, have, you know, maybe you left home too young because that was that was kind of big, you know, to to leave home at I, I mem- you know, finally year of high school and I had my own car and I was, you know, and it was it was big. Um <laughs> So, yeah, we're really fortunate here um, to have the resources that we do. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I completely agree.
1: Um, and so,
0: and so then your education, I mean, it was very focused. I mean, it was
1: very focused, musically
0: focused. Like, were you involved in any other things? Like, like did you do any sports? Did you, or?
1: No, I mean, before I, before I moved to Victoria, I, um, like, up until I guess eighth grade. I did basketball and track but then it was kind of like it was just too much i just had to had to focus on one thing mm-hmm. um and then certainly once i was um in victoria i all i did was was practice that, that was what i did and i'm not i have to say that i'm i've never been somebody that can sit down and do four to six hours a day i it's i find that really 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 difficult i was not the person that was you know, putting that in, but I, but I, but I was in a way, I mean, I was still, I would still go to the, the, the conservatory and practice maybe three hours tops. Then I found it was just counterproductive. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, but I, I didn't really have any other, I mean, the people I hung out with were people who were doing the same thing between the youth orchestra and there was a chamber music program and, um, you know, chorus work that I had to keep up with, and and um, playing exams. I mean, we had um, at the conservatory. Um, we had to do performance exams uh, twice a year, where we had to play like tons of technical things, and there just there just really wasn't time to to really do anything else. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. Yeah, and so we're. <laughs> how how was that for your family now did you have any brothers do you have any brothers or sisters yeah
1: I have um I have a older brother and older sister so both of them were sort of out of the house when I left so yeah my parents kind of experienced like everybody just kind of busting out at the more or less the same time <laughs> wow um Is that hard for them I mean I think there there was something that was hard about it in a way um it's it's you know it's it's always difficult looking back um, to try to see what you know what to try to remember emotions when you were looking back like I don't rem- like I remember looking forward obviously to going home and my parents would come and visit me um, if I did a recital or something they'd try to come so you know I was home for Christmas um, but the you know one thing I loved about it was. I would always drive. So if I so the first summer I went, my dad and I drove. So he's driving one car, I'm driving the other, and we're driving in tandem, you know, through yeah. the Rocky Mountains. It's yeah. absolutely gorgeous. And and then um, oftentimes, you know, dry, he would come pick me up and drive me back. So that those there's some really special memories there. But I, I think you know sooner or later, I mean, you get to the point where, you know, you you find other ways to be in touch with family other than um being in the same room you know and obviously back then i mean it wasn't quite prehistoric but we didn't really have the you know the face time and all that kind of stuff right so it was a little different lots of letter writing and i still have letters you know that my my dad wrote me and my mom wrote me and those kinds of things become really special
0: yeah to have something tangible like that yeah to yeah. Back
1: on and- yeah. yeah wow
0: um so had you ever considered any other career? I
1: mean, it seems like it was like a straight path. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. Um, I think no, at the time I didn't. And, um, you know, I was, I really, and I, I, I think about this a lot. I was really, really fortunate for the teachers that I had at every point, really fortunate. I mean, Mr. Hunter was kind of a guru and Somebody else I have to mention that I had um, that was a, a really important mentor for me was Stuart Nussen and he was um, the conductor of the youth orchestra in Victoria and he also taught music history class at the conservatory. He was um, retired uh, principal bass of the London Symphony and he he uh, London England and he retired. Um, and then came over to Canada and um, start. And one of his dreams was to establish, um, you know, a top-notch youth orchestra. So I stepped into a program that was incredibly well established, with, with really, really um, successful and dedicated and um, generous teachers. Um, Stuart Nusson was this like huge over. He would have been like 60, 65, late 60s when I met him, wrote a Harley, shocking red hair. He was really intimidating. And I used to have orchestral excerpts lessons with him in a, in a room that not much bigger than a closet. And I used to like, be so nervous for those lessons, you know, days in advance. But he ended up being, you know, kind of a good friend and supporter. And I mean, I was just really fortunate at every step to have, to have that kind of influence Um, so i i think that i recognizing um that i was able to study with certain teachers sort of made me feel even more dedicated to trying to make it work for myself Mm -hmm. you know to to really put in as much work as i could to to take advantage of the opportunities but i will say in the last few years and even with the pandemic um I do sometimes think about other career choices because let's face it, like being a freelance musician is pretty darn, uh, tricky. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, I have, I've met a couple of people who are musicians who have gone back in particular nursing school and Mm -hmm. things like that. And I've thought of doing, I mean, five years ago I was seriously considering, um, you know, doing something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, I still sort of think of it. And, when, and whenever I meet somebody that's done it, you know, there are people who have now a nursing degree and they work as a nurse during the day and then they, they can still gig at night. And I'm thinking, well, that's intense. That's There's nothing easy about that lifestyle, but, but there's something very fascinating about switching career like that mm-hmm. um, midway.
0: And I think Actually, a lot, well, and certainly in the past few years too, there are a lot of people... <laughs> who have, I mean, not just musicians, but, you know, there's a lot of, well, you know, I mean, since, you know, the pandemic had changed so many things with the the way we communicate and and live our lives that, um, you know, changing things up and, you know, is this working? Is this not working? Is it going to work in the future? Right. Uh, Right. So,
2: It's really interesting, too, because I think some you talk about, you know, it's not an easy life maybe to like if you're nursing and you're you're doing nursing and you're you're have rehearsing in the evenings and concerts and things. But I think, too, I know a lot of musicians who have added that second career so that they can take the pressure out of doing what we do because it's right. changed so much, uh, I think, for some people. And then also with the pandemic, obviously, it's changed, um, you know, and there's something to be said for um allowing yourself to have some of the enjoyment back with the lack of pressure from it being your primary source of, of income.
1: Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, the pressure is pretty intense and I think um, uh, I, you know, figuring out how to manage that, the stress and Mm -hmm. still play your best. And I think, you know, the, the other facet of career for me has always been teaching Mm-hmm. and um you know it's funny because when i was in college and certainly with the training i did in victoria and then moving and studying with greenhouse and then with my masters it was always i was always i always thought that i would sort of be an orchestral musician right after, right out of college that i'd be doing auditions and the way things worked out i ended up playing in a piano trio which was sort of my main um thing for a long time we were in residence for oh gosh 15 years at least and um you know so that was that so so i ended up doing a lot more teaching and playing chamber music and um and now i'm i'm hardly doing i mean i do some chamber music but the trio no longer plays together and i've sort of started very late in life really um doing a lot more um orchestral playing and orchestral auditions and um managing um teaching with being you know trying to prepare tons of repertoire any given week I mean you know if you're playing uh, you have two orchestra gigs in a month that's a lot of music Mm -hmm. to make yourself responsible for and um balancing um you know taking care of what you need just as a human, and if you, you know, and what your family needs, and, um, you know, taking time for yourself without feeling guilty about doing it is rough. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty hard. It's like, I hope someday to sort of figure all that out, but like a <laughs> constant struggle. Yeah. Right. Balance is tricky. It's- yeah.
2: I remember asking, uh, a teacher one time about balance, or maybe it was someone, maybe I didn't, there was a small class I was in, um, it was like a week-long class, and I don't know if it was me that asked the question or someone else, but I remember the answer, because um, there was only like six of us in the room, and and I remember the answer was sort of like, balance doesn't exist, you know, they said, well, how do you balance it all, and and the, the teacher was like, that's not a thing, you know, it's mm-hmm. like sometimes you feel like you're getting it, and then something yeah. will change, and it, the whole thing will be different, and it's like, Something about that was very helpful to me to think like, oh, well, you know, sometimes it'll feel really good and sometimes it'll yeah. feel like I don't know what I'm doing.
1: Right. You don't mm-hmm. have to reach like the 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 point where you have everything figured out. It's just a constant mm-hmm. you're constantly adjusting. Yeah. Yeah, you're always adjusting.
2: Yeah. yeah. And you're it's it's interesting. I I really enjoy hearing other people not enjoy hearing other people's struggles, but I enjoy hearing people be honest about the difficulties of balancing what we do. Yeah. Um and yeah. feeling like you're doing a good job at it. Um, but then also enjoying your, your day-to-day life. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Right. And they, you know, I've heard that, you know, you, you can have it all, but you can't have it all at once, you know, right. <laughs> mm-hmm. like you can, you know, pursue certain things at certain times of your life and that kind of thing. And, and that's just kind of, especially like if you have a family, children, mm-hmm. or, you know, mm-hmm. and, and cause I mean, your focus has to be somewhere. It can't be, you know, at all the, you know, you can't multitask everything you
1: know your entire
0: life
1: right 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 well how how old are your children now so my my son is going to be 24 in july and my daughters i have twin daughters they're going to be they're turning 21 wow yeah crazy it goes by very fast and um my kids are all athletic they're not they they, i mean they didn't pursue music really past you know sort of singing in a children's (laughs) choir and Playing violin at the elementary level, the girls played cello for a little bit. I have the cutest picture ever of them playing cello, which is just as close as we're gonna get. But um, <laughs> anyway, they—they—I they, think they, you know, they were around music always and um, have gone to many, many concerts, many, many rehearsals. So I feel like they've—they've they've got sort of a dose of some good music vitamins, but not their—not their thing. So my my son. Um, played baseball up through college and my daughters play softball. So my other life is, is, um, like softball, baseball, mom, which is one of my favorite roles ever. I love it. Absolutely love it. So, um, and, and, you know, um, there are, I I've, I have to confess to being, you know, when I first started teaching before I had children, I, I was so frustrated with the, the students that would say in the spring, well, I have to change my lesson time because I have lacrosse or I have, you know, whatever. And I would get so frustrated and coach, I can't miss this and I can't miss that. And I'm thinking, gee, you know, and, um, and while that's still, you know, something I have to work around with some of my students who are doing a couple of different types of activities, um, I've really come to appreciate the similarities between being a musician and being an athlete. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and, you know, for example, this past, um, semester, um, I I've learned, I learned so much from my kids and from what they go through, what kind of training they go through, what, what kind of mental preparation they go through. And, um, in fact, um, um, I've found some of the books that my kids read extremely helpful. Uh, My daughter Effie was um, pointed out a book to me that's called um, She the Confident, and it's about um, it's designed for softball players. And it's just about the mental game and preparing your confidence and 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 tactics you can use to um, play your best. And I'm thinking this is so similar to being a musician. The only thing that's I mean, it's kind of like our instrument is our playing field. And how we train, how we warm up, how we think, how we do drills—it's so so crucially important. And and I think that um, it's—I mean, I could talk about this for hours. Just the the parallels um, that are so fascinating. And and I think that in my teaching now, I've learned over the past few years, and again in particular when my my son went to college, and just seeing, you know, some of the the team building things they do, the books they read as a team um, drills, their work ethic, and I've tried to use that um, in some of the lessons now that I teach and talking, especially to high school age kids, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, quite frankly, being an athlete um, is cool and, and and being a musician um, doesn't necessarily get that label, you know, um, you know, we, we don't necessarily get that um, recognition for the, the physical feat Um, And um, so if you can draw parallels for students and show them that, hey, you know, like trying to get this finger action absolutely precise, that's learning a skill the same way as, you know, making sure that your stance in the batter's box is, you know, making sure you're using your hips, you know, it's it's exactly the same thing and and um, it's been a really interesting um, revelation for me, just that I've learned from, from my kids. It's really fascinating. Mm -hmm.
2: This is so interesting to me. This was like a big driver for me doing my yoga teacher training uh and I'm doing like a mindfulness um, meditation coaching certification right now. Um, But athletes, I mean, I just feel like we, we missed the mark for a lot of years, understanding that we should be training all these components of ourselves at the same time, you know, that athletes are so open about really training everything about what they do, what they're eating, how they're thinking, you know, how they're resting, um, how they're training their mindset going into a game or a match or whatever. Um, so I, I just, I'm, I think it's, I'm with you. I think it's totally fascinating. Yeah.
1: Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be amazing to just kind of like build a training program? that was more holistic like this, that was yes. based on, um, what we know from, from the, from the sports world. And like you said, I mean, their, their, their diet, they're, you know, making mm-hmm. sure they get sleep. Like, you know, they have a, they have a curfew for goodness sake, when they, when they're mm-hmm. playing tournaments, you know, they can't stay, they, they're, they control their behavior so that yeah. they're, they can reach their peak performance. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, It's, I mean, we talk, we talk a lot about the stress of being a musician and like, you know, having to, you know, play a solo in an orchestra concert or, or, um, you know, or perform for an audition. Um, Those are, those are very high stress situations, but it's so similar to being, you know, um, in a position in a game where, you know. Uh, you have to, you know, one swing of the bat and you can win, you know, or you lose. And, and um, it's, it's, um, it's so similar. And it's, and I, and I wish that I had been thinking this way earlier in my life Mm -hmm. about practicing, you know? Yeah, I agree too. Yeah. And, you
0: know, and in the past few years, like I've um, done a lot just, uh, with exercise and working out, um, lifting weights, like that's been a big, big thing for me. And like, and, you know, in learning about, uh, and form and how, and how you need to, you know, and you have to get the basics right. And that, and that kind of thing before you can move on to, um, to other things and just, um, right. Like, Building your body, you know, and feeding your mind, and and all of those things, uh, it's 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 all related. And your your body is is part of your instrument, exactly. and you need to take care of of that. I mean that this is where it where it all starts, you know. And uh, but yeah, it's there are a lot of different correlations with you know, health and exercise, uh, and yeah team sports. And for
1: musicians, you know, often I've said, you know, like, you know, teaching at summer festivals and thinking, you know, we should have yoga classes. Yeah. We should have like a yoga break in the rehearsals. We spend so much time sitting. Yes. And whether, you know, like, you know, I, I had a rehearsal last night in Allentown. So I drive an hour and a half, mm-hmm. go to the rehearsal, sit for three hours, and then drive an hour and a half back. It's just crazy. Right. And yeah. then
0: that can lead to like, you know, well, tension, building tension yeah. in the body and and then injury, uh, you know, if it gets, you know, to that point.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. And and um, you know, if I ever, I mean, yeah, now that we're talking, I realize how how inspired I am about this project. It would be really interesting to just spend some time researching. Mm-hmm sort of developing a method of movement for players mm-hmm. before they practice and talking about, you know, what, you know, what, how important it is to eat healthily and, um, make sure you're yeah. sleeping. And cause that's, these are all the things we don't do, particularly when we're in, when we're in college and we're in the intense, yeah. intense time of preparing lessons and preparing recitals. And, and we are so not sleeping and eating right. And, you know, mm-hmm. so it's As you're right. saying,
2: yeah, that in college, especially, and you think college athletes, you're talking about your children, right? They're exactly. doing that already, they they're, are understanding those connections right. for themselves. Yeah. And we really were missing something. Um, and then the other thing you mentioned that really struck a chord was I don't know if either of you have read Atomic Habits by James Clear, I, um, that's on my
1: list, I haven't read it.
2: Really fantastic, and he's he, I love his weekly newsletter, but he played and it's not sports based, but he played uh, baseball in college. And so he will reference that quite a bit as like some of where his references come from. And um, he, um, part of his book, and I I think this is where I got it from. He talked about that warm up uh, to create flow, like warm up to create. um, And I have just been like obsessed with this idea. I'm not sure how to like create it for myself yet, Mm -hmm. but it's like the idea that like you have a thing that you do that puts you in the right place mentally and physically, and that even if you don't feel like doing it, it's a prescribed amount of time. And by the time you're done,
1: your right. body and
2: your brain are on the same page. Um, it's just like fascinating to me the way that that could be applied and then adapted as like we grow and change. yeah mm-hmm. but um but that the ideas are out there. We just don't we don't correlate well as musicians.
1: Yeah, we need to do a um, uh, what do you call that, uh, like a test study? What do you call that when you, you like you volunteer to do a study and then they give people placebos and then they? Yeah, totally blanket uh, trial, like a trial. A trial. Yeah, we need mm-hmm. to do that. We need to have some musicians that we don't we don't uh, uh, apply any of these uh, tactics and others that we do and see how they feel. And it's really because, you know, we all play because when we when we're playing at our best, there's nothing there's nothing in that feels better than that, than having like a really great performance or an inspire or playing with inspiring musicians. Like, that's why we keep doing it. And so wouldn't it be great to just increase the odds that our successes are going to be more numerous than those concerts where we just kind of feel well, meh, you know, Mm -hmm. it was I wasn't able to get my focus or I wasn't able to really emote or feel comfortable or mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's great. And, um, <clears throat> the other thing that I spend a lot of time thinking about and I could spend all day trying to get right is practicing how to practice, just how to practice. Oops, I'm getting a phone call standby. Um, yeah. uh, uh Anyway, um, you know, like how to make your practice, you know, the funny thing is I'll never forget a teacher telling me in college, cause I would, you know, come, come for a class and how are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm so overwhelmed, you know, I don't have time to do anything. And he said, you know, the funny thing is college is when you do have time to do things. You don't realize that once you start working, then you don't have time. Uh-huh. And one of your greatest goals is going to be to figure out how to practice efficiently. Uh-huh. And that is like, that is such another fascinating subject right yeah efficiency in practice is (laughs) and you know it's it comes down to i think it comes down to it's this sounds crazy but i think it comes down to practicing so that you don't make mistakes Uh you know don't don't be be so in control of everything you're doing in your practice that you simply don't make a mistake
2: Uh um
1: For string players in particular, that's, that's, uh, you know, well, for everyone, really, but I mean, for us, you know, to misplace a finger and then we're out of tune. So you, you so my, a lot of students say, well, how do I improve my intonation? I said, well, you just don't play out of tune. And it sounds (laughs) ridiculous, but that's the truth. You slow things down, you listen, you get your focus, you use a tuner, you use a drone, whatever, but you just have to play in tune.
0: (laughs) Mm, Right. Well, and I, you know, it comes down to being, uh, you know, we throw this word around a lot these days, but being mindful and, and, and focused, like you said, which uh, I don't know, especially these days seems very difficult um, to achieve with all of the distractions that we have going on. But, you know, I, when I am playing my best, I am only focused on the music that I am making I am not worried about who's listening I'm not worried about you know I'm and you know it's just you're in the zone right Right. and um yeah and it's just and it's it's just being aware uh, and only focused on what you are doing
1: yeah having your head in the game yeah yeah yeah
0: Exactly. Yeah. Because as soon as you're distracted by something else and, but yeah, we have to bring that into our practice and really, you know, a, 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 a 20 minute practice session can, with that kind of focus, um, can be certainly more beneficial than a, you know, a three hour of, exactly. you know, oh, I'm going to look at my phone. Oh, I'm going to do some homework, whatever, you know?
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious how you ended up in Lancaster. Yeah.
1: Like, yeah. yeah. I, um, well, I, ended up playing in a piano trio that became in residence at the um so we met in college um pianist and violinist um and um we ended up being in residence at the pennsylvania academy of music um the violinist happened to be the son of the founders and he and, and i he and i got married so um that was how that happened and um so yeah, we were here for I mean, our, the, I mean, I've been here since 93 mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah. And so, you stayed. I stayed. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, honestly, this is this is, um, you know, again, here I am. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm an American citizen now. Um, I still have my Canadian citizenship, but I, again, never thought I would be anything other than a Canadian citizen. I mean, I thought I might go to school in the States and then go back to Canada originally. Um, But as we all know, things, things uh, are rarely, especially at that time of your life, you know, things can take drastic turns. And um, so, but you know, Lancaster, this area is a wonderful place for families. It's, it's a, um, I mean, Lancaster City is, has really become culturally extremely rich. Mm -hmm. um and so it's 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 sort of a desirable place to live i think in many ways
0: yes that and that and that it's also you know the um it's close to the metro areas
1: yeah philly
0: baltimore new york
1: yeah Yeah. so um again we're really fortunate and you walk down downtown lancaster and it's just you know nice restaurant after Interesting galleries and shops and vintage places, and you know it's bookstores and we're really yeah. fortunate in that respect yeah. mm-hmm.
0: What is your one of your most favorite things about being a musician in this area?
1: Well, you know what I've come to appreciate, though it it it's also maybe sort of like I think a lot of things with being a freelance musician, what you might call a favorite thing can also be, um, a, uh, not, you know, something that's a challenge. Um, but, but I like that, um, that I I'll often get emails asking me to play for things that I didn't see coming. I like that part of being freelance. I like that sort of email where it's like, Hey, can you come play here? You can come play there. I like that. Um, I mean, when I was playing with the Newstead Trio, um, I, I loved, um, I mean, there was a time where we had, we had management and we were doing sort of road trips and, you know, um, driving to communities that we'd never heard of and playing concerts and just meeting people and um, uh, playing in different venues. That was, that was really fun. Um, and I think now, what I appreciate the most about about being a musician is just sort of the unpredictability of what a concert can be or um, what an audience response can be or, you know, meeting new people or meeting meeting new musicians that you haven't played with before, um, you know, being inspired by somebody's uh, solution to a problem that, you know, affects all of us, like uh, keeping a extra a black outfit in your car in case you forget your pants when you drive two hours from home to play. a, You know, well, you know what I mean. Oh, I've like, showed up to a gig without my oboe, So, in yeah. so, <laughs> there. Yeah, I like the I like the community of musicians. I think again in Lancaster, this area, we have some really top notch musicians um, and um, lots of opportunities. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I'm, I'm really enjoying my work um, with the symphony, Langster symphony. I, uh, this is a whole new learning curve for me being on a board, chairing a board. Yeah, and so when did you start that? Like, um, so let's see our current executive director, Guy McIntosh. I think he invited me to be on the board in April of 2020. So I joined the board just, you know, during the pandemic mm-hmm. and, um, and then I, um started chairing the education committee for the symphony and then um, became a board chair in I believe July of 2020 no 2021 July 2021 I think like, I don't even know what year it is it's <laughs> all so just kind of like you know um that whole year is that way <laughs> yeah exactly so and you know the symphony is in a position where um a lot is completely new um we're we're sort of um you know, as 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 is the case um, for 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 many um, regional orchestras or even arts organizations, the pandemic, as horrible as it was, was there was there is a silver lining for for many of the organizations that it was a time to pause and and really look at how things are going and and what direction you want to head. And I think that as we're, we have a new executive director, we have almost a completely new board. Um, we are looking for a new music director. Um, this has been a, a really really um, exciting uh, time to to sort of rebrand the the symphony, keep what what has been working, and and obviously after seventy five seasons, I mean it's an institution in itself. There's a lot of um, wonderful things about the organization, and then there were a lot of things that um, that that we felt we wanted to. Um, sort of change and, and uh, reconnect with the community. And that's become a lot of it's a lot of work. Um, And, and for again, with orchestras, you know, it's, it's always a struggle to figure out, you know, how to get how to get your audience to come, how to how to um, broaden your audience, how to diversify your audience. But um, I think these are challenges that the current board and um, executive director and staff are really putting as priorities so it's it's been uh, you know it's funny because I think that for me to step into doing s- sort of volunteer I always wanted to volunteer I never and I could never find time and it was always always thinking well I gotta go and help out at Water Street Rescue Mission or do something you know for the Y or whatever but I've ended up becoming involved as a volunteer with something that's really near and dear to my heart which is you know the health of an orchestra just in general how do we how do we promote an orchestra Um, (laughs) at a time where you know even the even the historically traditional audiences are Turning more to wanting to watch something in the comfort of their own home, seeing something virtually, joining, you know, joining a joining a concert that's happening in Vienna, you know, because it's being broadcast, you know, it's so it's it's a it's a really significant challenge. Um, but but if we're going to, you know, I feel like if we're going to, as teachers, encourage kids to students to follow a career path as a musician. Then we really have to be dedicated to the health of the regional orchestras that they're going to end up playing in, and um, so yeah, so that's been very, very um, enlightening for me, and just um, I'm I'm inspired again to sort of study um, how how successful regional orchestras, why they're successful, what makes them successful, how do they best fundraise. How- do they what are you know how do they tap into their community um it's really amazing yeah so, and i'm sure there's a, a learning curve to all of that it's it's crazy i mean even this morning i was you know i'm sitting waiting for my husband at an appointment and i'm reading the little book of boards you know to try to like just just keep my head again it's it's keeping it's the challenge of keeping staying focused on what's really important and not letting a barrage of unimportant things um take up residence in your brain waves you know which is increasingly more and more difficult (laughs) but i think
2: it's such like important work that you're doing at the symphony I think it's important like you talk about how culturally rich our area is and then considering the challenge of how can an orchestra fit into that because it should be able to but it might mean that we have to adjust what we've done for the last 75 years um, as classical musicians and it's exciting to think about you know how how change can be good in that Mm -hmm. respect and I I just from the last LSO concert that I played in which was last well earlier this month um mm-hmm. seeing the enthusiasm of the musicians and the audience and you know seeing good things happen that way and knowing that things yeah. good things are happening right things are happening and it, when you create yeah. momentum you know what follows yeah. that so i just think yeah. what you're doing you're already seeing you know payout from that but it just yeah. is you know we stay in Lancaster because of the culture because we have those things available to us um, but then you know the the responsibility as musicians is to figure out how we fit in
1: mm-hmm. and my yeah absolutely and I I think too that you know and this, this is a topic that's discussed a lot it's like how do you how do you get somebody to become excited to come to a classical music concert mm-hmm. I mean, how do you get somebody to really think that this is a valuable use of their time to, to come out of the house, come to a concert? Because, because there's nothing like a live performance. There is nothing as exciting as a live performance. And um, it's just, how do you, because, you, because I, th- I would think that most people that come to an, a concert that's exciting would like to repeat the experience But I think that there are a lot of people that think, oh, well, it's not my thing. I don't want to come to a music concert.
0: And I think that stems uh, from music education Mm -hmm. right,
1: in our schools and
0: getting out there. And uh, you you have to show the kids um, Mm -hmm. what it's like, what that experience can be like. Um, And I don't know. That's to me, that's where it would start. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I think even like with my kids, you know, I know they would enjoy, Yeah. I mean, they, they, they've come to some concerts and they, but it wouldn't necessarily be something that they seek out, you know, right. as as, early, as young 20 year olds. But it's, it's just so exciting. It's like trying to get somebody to read a book that you think is fascinating. And once they start, they can't stop turning the mm-hmm. pages, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't necessarily have taken it off the shelf. Bridging the gap. It, it, yeah yeah. so that's it. That'll be an ongoing um, challenge for sure.
0: Well, and so speaking of like music education and 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 teaching, um, do you would you say you like ascribe to a certain like philosophy? in in teaching, is there something that um, you want to make sure that you impart to the, the students that you teach?
1: You know, it's funny, I, um, I started teaching in 1993, like formally, and this past, I, I guess it was during the pandemic that I really, I started um, wanting to just play more and wanting to make time to um, to take auditions and prepare excerpts and things like that, and so I um, I did scale down the number of private students that I have, and um, I had up until that point accepted almost any student really that wanted to study because I remember one thing from Mr. Hunter, and that was he would always say, "You really can't. You have to. You have to go into teaching a student." assuming that they they can be great at the instrument, right? That they have potential. You can't say, oh, this person doesn't have potential. So I think I, I, I do look at all my students as being potentially capable of being fine players, whether they have a great musical talent, whether they have a great physical talent, whether they um, don't seem to have a great ear, whatever. I just everything everything is possible. That's how I look at all the students, um, and I think one of the one of the greatest things that a teacher can give a student is the ability to to do that to to come across a problem, and have the tools to try to figure out how to solve it. Um, so I'm so I'm I guess I try to encourage people to. Develop a thought process. I think students, in my experience, are a little late to take control of their own practicing. I think that we we sort of wait sometimes too long, and we wait until a student is in high school before we really expect them to be solving problems on their own. But I think I try to, even with younger students, get them to really listen and to really think, think about what they're doing, and think about um, what where they're where they are with their playing and where they want to be. And I and I do try to. Um, you know, always in the back of my mind is to have somebody leave the room, a more experienced player than when they entered it doesn't always work. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't always work. But I am I am I I know that um, if there, you know, could be a criticism of my teaching, I think that I'm, I don't put I don't really put a lot of pressure on kids. I don't put pressure on them to do this audition, that audition. I don't tell them they have to do this, they have to do that. I, I sort of am looking for the students that are gonna come to me, eventually, and say, hey, you know, like this is what I want to do, and I say, great, this is how we get there, you know. Um, so, um, I I will say that um, you know I've I've done a lot of what I would call recreational cello teaching, uh, teaching students that really have not front about not wanting to go into music or wanting to pursue it, but, um, but they still want to learn about it. Um, I, I as I move forward, I'm, I'm trying to focus um, more and more on the students that do want to go into music, and that do um, want need to prepare college auditions and um, that are or, or that are at least wanting to keep that door open. Mm-hmm. um that's my private students the the students that i i teach at fnm um at one point i was teaching at millersville fnm and etown now i'm just down to fnm i just had to i was i just needed to sort of pair things back a bit and um, um the students at, at fnm are largely students that are you know majoring in um you know environmental studies or whatever astrophysics and they and they come for lessons because they always played um, as kids and they wanted to keep, keep doing it. And um, you know, I can, I can make uh, those lessons feel relevant in terms of what I can give them. If I have that philosophy that, um, you know, okay, these might not necessarily be professional musicians, but, but it's my responsibility to, to give them tools to solve problems so that they can, once they leave, continue to improve and maybe become players who play in um, community orchestra or, you know, form a little string quartet just for their own personal enjoyment. So- Yeah,
0: and, and you you have to meet them where they are.
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, and
0: yeah, and be realistic of, you know, how does this fit into their life?
1: And, and you know, it's, it's funny because you mentioned something earlier about you know, sometimes twenty minutes of practice can be better than three hours if you're mindful, and that's another thing I try to really impart to my students. Like, I'm you that you practice. I practiced last night. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be great, it, and it, but it could be just yeah. kind of like, oh shoot! Now we have to undo oh, yeah. all this, <laughs> all these habits yeah. that were formed. So it's um, you know, again, it's it's teaching people at any stage how to practice mm-hmm. how to listen isn't it remarkably difficult to get people mm-hmm. to hear what they're doing i mean it really is remarkably difficult and i know I, I i fall into that myself when i'm practicing i can find that i'm i'm repeating a shift and then i'm i'm literally thinking about um you know what's on the grocery list i mean it's so hard to yeah. stay focused so i mean that's a constant struggle but yeah. So teaching is something that, um, you know, to be completely honest, I think I, I sort of reached my limit. I think I became kind of burnt out um, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to um, scale it back so I can approach it with sort of renewed inspiration. Mm-hmm. And um, that for me, that might mean fewer students and right. being but able just to refocusing. Do, yeah, refocusing. What, yeah. what are you most
0: proud of um, what you have accomplished in your career so far?
1: Gosh. Now, if you hadn't said my career, I would have said okay. my kids. All right. Well, um, oh. because you know what, you know what, and, and I don't know if my kids will listen to this podcast and I do have to clarify one thing, even though my, my kids were like, you know, disciplined in, in terms of athletics, they absolutely do and did party. I just have to say that. Cause I don't want people, you know, my kids might listen and think, Oh mom, you portrayed us as sports geeks. You know, so, anyway, they do have a good time also, but, um, so in my career what am i most proud of um gosh you know i'm i'm not you know i'm i i quite frankly struggle with confidence so it's really hard for me to like say something like that one Mm -hmm. of the i think i've i'm 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 sort of proud of the fact that i've started doing auditions Mm -hmm. at my ripe old age i really am like i recently did the audition in york and then i just recently did one in allentown and just preparing for that and showing up for me just to show up. My goal was just in York and in Allentown was just, I just want to show up and I want to play the first round and feel like I'm not losing control because of nerves Mm -hmm. or feeling like, you know, what am I doing here with all these young whippersnappers? And, um, so just, you know, I guess being proud of being able to set aside the time to prepare for something that is meaningful to me. Um, having said that I don't want to do that anytime soon again because it was really it's you know stressful it's stressful um I guess also I'm I I'm proud of uh, students what students have accomplished and um you know where they've been been able to to go and get you know get places and um you know sort of be able to to get into a school that they wanted to get into so that they can then start studying with somebody who will then take care of getting them to the next level, you know and and um, helping them achieve their goals.
0: and for me, like actually, like um looking through your bio, and I knew that you had your your duo with Maria. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know that's pretty special too.
1: Oh my gosh yes and and any collaboration um I mean I don't know you know Maria would be a great person to sit down and talk to uh she is absolutely fascinating and um one of the strongest uh people I think uh, that I know and a great friend and wonderful wonderful musician and um she's a fellow Canadian though we didn't know each other in Canada but um, yeah we we uh, really love playing together we um, we started this duo chiaroscuro oh gosh it's probably I don't know how many years but it's been sort of sporadic and we um, our most recent endeavor was was this um, silence optional series that we we started to um, think about we were inspired by um, Xenia concert series in Toronto. It's a string quartet that um, started doing programs for autistic audiences. And um, so we thought, well, goodness, that's, you know, that's a a community of people that don't come to concerts a lot of times, children with special needs or even adults with special needs. Because they might make a noise or they might need to leave or they might need to move or they might. So. uh, that's something that, you know, we're hoping to continue to focus on and, and do more and more concerts. We did a, um, a virtual concert for a an organization. Um, I think it was in Chicago. I can't remember. It's terrible. Um, and they, they aired what we did. And then they sort of had a physical therap- or a, a therapist, a music therapist, uh, working with... Um, their audience and sort of giving them activities to do while they were listening to our concert. Great. And so we'd like to yeah, we'd like to do more of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um because again, it's how do you make uh, you know, the how do you take away the the sort of the boundaries that exist in a concert setting that you don't think you you can't talk, you're not supposed to move, you can't make a noise, you're not supposed to crinkle the candy wraps and you know, some of that really is important, but some of that also is viewed as sort of restrictive for, yeah. for people that want to bring kids who might, you know, scream in the middle of the concert or things like that. So um yeah, we've yes, we take we away some of the boundaries. Yeah. It's it's a work in progress. I mean, anytime I can collaborate in chamber music, that's that's I'll yeah, I'm in. Absolutely, I agree.
0: Um and that's also kind of like with this podcast too, like wanted to collaborate with someone else and, and because of the, you know, connection that we've been missing <laughs> for the past few years yeah. and that kind of thing,
1: yeah.
0: Um, but just kind of you know, bringing things together and, and working with other people in ways that we wouldn't have before.
1: Right, right. I mean, even just in this conversation, I mean, you know, both of you are, are musicians that, that, I mean, we sort of run across each other and cross each other's paths and we know each other on a certain level, but I mean, this is a really inspiring conversation for me and I'm thinking you know we should have like a a club or something you know
2: <laughs> like a book club <laughs> like
1: a book club and just like have a topic and we could go on mm-hmm. and on and on for hours and I think it's a really important support mm-hmm. for for people and just community and um you know as a you know the people that from one community to another and, and freelance and we do, we all do that but we kind of feel like we're doing sort of drive-bys we drop in and then we leave and it would be nice mm-hmm. to meet some of these people that mm-hmm. we're playing with on a on a deeper level right so
2: yeah and don't you think too maybe it's like another thing athletes sort of have figured out is that social exactly mm-hmm.
1: exactly and keeping you know.
0: it a friendly place because it right. doesn't have to be the the cutthroat exactly that exactly. it is in some areas um which you know, I don't necessarily feel that here. You know, I mean,
2: no, out yeah. there,
0: but I also yeah. kind of stay in my own little hole. But
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I agree.
0: So yeah. yeah, we need music club
2: now.
1: That's right. <laughs> I think
2: this has been really inspiring. Like Sarah said, we kind
1: of went all over the place. I hope it wasn't like, you know, this. This has been a lot of fun. Right. I and think thank
0: I'm- you for you know volunteering to to be our yeah. first
1: <laughs> I'm a guinea pig.
0: You know, I, I I sent you that email, and I was like hovering over the keyboard, over you know, hitting send. Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> I, when I read it, I
2: was
1: like, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. No. But again, I thought, but why knew, you? you know, oh. it's like, no. yeah, yeah, you're the perfect kind of person. person. Well, but, well anyway, it, it's it, it's a great idea, and I'll look forward to to hearing uh, the yeah. other interviews, not mine. I don't like listening to my own. <laughs> it's hard with editing you're like oh yeah it's it's a little painful but yeah but I do have to say that you're both inspiring to me in the in the work that you do and also in how you um keep up with the yoga and the weights and all that I am just like I'm waiting for I'm I've sort of I can hit that a little bit and then it kind of like it You have a busy week and then you can't, but when you start to get that feeling like you're turning into a marshmallow. So that's (laughs) very good. Well,
0: and thank you, everybody, for joining us today. And um, for those of you who are listening, um, if you have anyone in mind that you would like us to bring on and chat with, and if they're willing, um, you can always email us. Uh, Like I said in our first episode, we do have an email, which is notes at gmail.com. Um, In addition, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So thank you, Morgan, and thank you, Sarah.
1: Thanks so so much. much. Thank you very much.